That's interesting that he said that because he asked me if I was nervous. And I said, not in the sense that I'm afraid, but I'm nervous because when I used to play sports, I used to pitch. And I was pretty good at it. And I liked it because I controlled the game every time I had the ball in my hand. And so all week long, I told him, I've been preparing for this sermon. I've been wrestling with the devil. And I told him this morning, I'm going to put a woman on the devil. <laughs> so if you have your Bibles, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 through 15, actually 10 through 13. I know we have 10 minutes, and I'd like to go through all the formalities if I could, but we don't have time. I'm going to have to rush through a lot. There's a lot packed in this scripture, and in the same way that Paul approached the church in Corinth is the way that I'm approaching you this morning, in the spirit of love, in the spirit of unity, in the spirit of hope. So if you have 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, let's read it together. King James Version says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you said, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? We've heard that before. I know many of us have read that. And the theme this morning is unity. Um, some of you in here may know Queen Latifah. She used to have a song called Unity, U-N-I-T-Y. And I like that song because you and I, you and I. And the T, Christ represents that T. And the Y is what we're going to get to later. But just remember, this is good for the kids and the adults. You and I, T-Y, unity. So let's look at the scripture. First of all, what do we know about Corinth? I wish I could tell you all the stuff about an interesting place. A city in Greece, south central Greece. And it was a seaport city. And it was on an isthmus. I know, what is an isthmus? Google, what's an isthmus? I know, it's, it's a word we learned in school, but we don't remember what it is. Well, it was a place that many people used to go to. It was a seaport city. All the, the people from the Mediterranean would go through uh, this seaport city. And it was a place of wild living, a place of much immorality, a place where uh, sin was commonplace. And so, because we have kids, that's all I'm going to say about it. But read about it. There are some things in there uh, that are very similar to what's going on today in our society. But also in, in Corinth, there was something else that was unique about this city, and that is it was a place where men who were eloquent in speaking would go, and they would pontificate, and they would opine, and they would be in the square, and they would talk to people. And because of the way they talked, they amassed a following. They got people to uh, be in their camp, sort of like today when people make famous songs and People buy their music, and when they have concerts, people pay lots of money to go and hear them sing. 
Well, in Corinth, they had speakers who were like that. Their eloquence was like gold. When they would speak, people would line up behind them. And what they would do is, is when they would be speaking, uh, the people that were their followers would walk up behind them and they would touch them on the back. And that would signify that I am with this person. I am following this person. And they would put their name on his back, which is the opposite of what we do. When I go to watch uh, the Lakers play and I have a LeBron James jersey on, I have his name on my back. But what they would do is they would put their name on his back to elevate themselves, to show that I have boosted my status in society because I have attached myself to this person. So that's what was going on in Corinth when uh, Paul wrote this scripture. And so you ask the question, well, what were they doing in Corinth that made uh, the house of Chloe snitch on the brothers? I say that laughingly because they didn't snitch, they did what they were supposed to do. There was division in the church and it needed to be addressed. And so what they did is they approached Paul through a letter. They communicated with him and so did Apollos. And they wanted to let him know that there was divisions in the church among the brethren. There were things going on that were dividing the church that needed to be addressed. And so that's what the, the letter was written that Paul wrote. He wanted to address those problems. Verse 10, Paul says, <clears throat> excuse me, now I beseech you, brethren. Now right off the bat, he says, I beseech you. That's not a word we use a lot. So let's, let's look at that. Anybody in here beseeched anybody lately? Beseech, what does that mean? That word means to come alongside. That's what we're doing here this morning when my brother preached that sermon. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm calling you to my side as though I'm putting my arm around you to talk to you about something that's going to build you up and strengthen you. He was beseeching his brethren. He let them know of the relationship that they had. He's saying, I'm not coming to you as a stranger. I'm coming to you as a brother in Christ to address an issue that's causing division in the church. And so he says, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I already explained to you what was going on in the world in Corinth, men lining up behind other men to improve their status, to make themselves look better than their other brothers because I'm attaching myself to Brother Jeremy. I'm attaching myself to Brother Jim. I'm attaching myself to Brother Dillsworth to make themselves look better in society and make their brothers look, look, look worse than they were. That's what was going on. So Paul's addressing that. He's saying, okay, you want to attach your name to Paul, to Cephas, to Apollos, all of those men great in the church, all of those men probably eloquent speakers, especially Apollos. It tells us that he was an eloquent speaker. So what Paul says is, Checkmate. I come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, a name above all other names. Game over. If that's what you're doing, this is the one you need to attach yourself to. That's what he was telling them. He says, now, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you. Speak the same things, meaning spiritual things. Of course, no, no church with... 100 people, 20 people are going to agree on everything. But we should agree on spiritual things. We should agree on things that are written in the word. And that's what Paul was saying. He's saying that there be no divisions among you. That word divisions, the Greek word is schisma. It's where we have our English word schisms. It means that they were not together. Think about the clothes that we have on, the garments that we're wearing. They're one piece. This suit coat is one piece. Well, the schism that they had was dividing them. It was tearing them apart. And so Paul was addressing this. He says, speak the same thing singular. 
not things, thing, and that there be no divisions, plural. There were many things that they were divided about. Be no divisions among us, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. Now, when I hear that word perfectly, I think that's associated with not making any mistakes. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying perfectly joined together is the opposite of tearing something apart. That word literally means that you take something that has been torn apart and you unify it. You build it back together. You put it back together because that's the way it's supposed to be. He's saying that we're not supposed to be divided. He wants us perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So that's the B clause of this passage. Perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. How do we do that? What does that mean? Well, to be joined together in the same mind, first of all, we must believe the same things. And if we have the same mind, then those things that we believe, we must act upon those things in the same judgment. That's what he's saying. Don't attach yourself to men who are mortal to build yourself up to look better than someone else, to improve your status, to make you look better and to make your brother look not so good, to look less than. Can we identify with that this morning? That's what he's telling them. We are one. Unity, you and I, with Christ. Why? Well, what he's telling them is, is that we need to be together in the same mind and the same judgment. That's hard to do in today's times. I have 10 minutes <clears throat> to do the practical application on something that could take a week. So I'm not going to take that long. My wife is giving me hand signals. <laughs> I asked her to do that. I know. And another thing, I can tell how we are tensing up. We're building up to something. My brother already alluded to it. Sometimes politics is not good to talk about. Sometimes controversial things are not good to talk about. But why do we know about what was going on in the Church of Corinth? Because something controversial has got talked about. It got written down. So what's controversial in our society today? The theme of this sermon that I was supposed to tell you about, the theme is, who are you lining up behind? Those men at Corinth, their worldly behavior seeped into the church. The order of the day was to line up behind someone who you associated with to make yourself look better. They were lining up behind those people, and they brought that into the church, and it caused division. Well, today, who are we lining up behind? What ideologies do we line up behind? What people, what associations do we line up behind? And are those things in line with what the Word of God says? Are we lining up behind Christ? Or are we lining up behind ideals and principles that keep us divided? In this room, the people on the Internet can't see this room. But this room is not one-dimensional. The demographic in this room is different than most churches anywhere. And I'm going to say this, and I want everyone to hear us. Hear me. The skin that we have does not define who we are. There is no such thing as a white person. There is no such thing as a black person. Those are social constructs made by man which divide us. Paul says that's wrong, that's a sin, to see people based on the color of their skin, to judge them that way. 
It is wrong. It's not in the word of God. But our society says we have a system which was built and designed to elevate some people, to create a hierarchy based on skin color and rank some people higher than others. That's wrong. The world practices that, but the word of God does not teach that. That division is wrong. But the world lives by that. Our society, our city, our state, our country, this world teaches that there is a hierarchy based on skin color. And people who are classified as white are better than people who are classified as colored, black, brown, native, Latino. That is wrong. And we must not bring that into the church, and we must take it out of our society. It can no longer exist if we're going to be unified as a people. It must end. And the only way it's going to end, I believe, is that the body of Christ is going to lead that charge. If the church of Christ does not do that, the world is not going to do it. We've already given the world a chance to do it, and they haven't done it. Well, some people might say, well, Brother Nate, I don't participate in that. I'm a good person. I'm not a racist person. I don't hate anybody. Well, maybe not. But the society that we live in, because of the way it is, you can benefit from privilege, even though you're not one who's discriminating. The best way we can dismantle that is to stop calling each other by those labels. To stop seeing each other as white, black, native, Latino, Hispanic. Let's get rid of that. Let's not give it any more power. That's why it has power, because we don't talk about it, we don't address it, we don't deal with it. If I go to the doctor and he says I have cancer, and I just pretend like he didn't say that, and I keep going about my business, it's going to kill me. It's a foreign object in my body. That's what sin is. That's what racism is. It's a foreign object in the body, and we must get rid of it. How do we do that? Unity, you and I, plus Christ. Why? Well, here's the why. I don't know how much time I have left, but here we go. I guess this means none. <laughs> here we go. If you have your Bibles, turn to what my brother Doug read. Um, I believe the scripture is Mark chapter 17. John 17, I'm sorry. Here's the why. Why must we be unified? Verse 18 says, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Watch this. That they may all be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou givest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them, that thou, that thou hast loved me. Why? In the unity. Why? So that the world may know that God sent his Son to save the world from sin. You and I with Christ. That's the why. Now, what's the other practical application? I know I'm out of time, but this is important. Two weeks ago, a young man got in a vehicle 
and drove two to three hours to a neighborhood grocery store to specifically kill black people. That was his goal. He wrote a manifesto weeks before, days before, explaining his purpose, why he did that. In his manifesto, he says that he is a self-proclaimed white supremacist. What does that mean? That means that the color hierarchy that he believes in makes him better than me, makes him better than our other brothers and sisters who are not white. That's wrong, that's divisive, that's sin, that's hate. 1 John 3.15 says, he who hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath everlasting life in him. If we hate our brother, we're murderers, and heaven is not our destination. If we remain unified with love, with concern one for another, agape love, the kind of love that says, I want for my brother here to preach a better sermon than I do, the kind of love that says, I want my brother to sing, I want my brother to pray, I want my brother to preach, and not just when we're in here, but when we leave this place, when we leave these doors and we get in our cars and we go to our neighborhoods where there's not people who look different from us. What are the conversations that we hear? Are we walking behind Christ? Are we following Christ? Or are we following the world? Our associations that we have, the private groupings that we have, when we're on Facebook and Instagram, when people are typing things and saying things about, we're losing our country. Those people are replacing us. What are we going to do about it? Build a wall. We need to talk about it. And we need to be the example to the world to let them know that it doesn't matter what color a person is. It doesn't matter what their immigration status is. It doesn't matter how much money they have in the bank account. What matters is who do they represent? Who do they follow? A Christian is one who follows Christ. Are we doing that? If we're not, we need to think about where we are, who we're lined up behind. This may not be what you came to hear this morning. I'm not sorry. I'm not. I'll be 55 years old in a couple of weeks. I've come to the point where I can say I'm old enough now where I'm going to say what I believe God wants me to say. We've got to do better as a society, and we're not going to do that with the world leading the charge. The body of Christ has to be the beacon. We have to be the salt of the earth. Otherwise, what does the Bible say? We're not good for anything except to be trampled under the feet of men. We are supposed to be the light on the hill, but we need to turn that light on. That's what we need to do. If you're here this morning, you've heard something that may have touched your heart. Maybe you've heard something that says, I may not be a part of the solution, and I, want to be, I may not be a part of the problem. Either way, change has to happen. If you're here this morning, and maybe there's something on your heart outside of this that you need to deal with. I've been to two funerals in two weeks. It's a tough world that we live in. There are many things that we need to pray about, that we need support of our church members. If you're here this morning, whatever the case may be, this is your opportunity to come to the Lord as we stand and sing the song of invitation.